Medtronic Technologies impacted more than 72 million people in the last year, equating to two people every second. Harnessing the power of technology to take healthcare further, each technology has unique benefits designed to serve patients. The goal of this program is to get closer to the patient and delve into the challenges and impact of each technology in practice. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. The INVOS monitoring system should not be used as the sole basis for diagnosis or therapy and is intended only as an adjunct in patient assessment. Medtronic's medical education programs are offered to provide attendees education on the FDA-cleared indications and use of our products when applicable. The contents and conclusions of the following program are solely those of the speakers unless otherwise noted. The speakers are responsible for all content and any necessary permissions. The speakers received funding from Covidian LP, a Medtronic company, for this speaking engagement. For this segment of the series, a discussion on the value of NEARS in clinical practice in the NICU, we will discuss how NEARS may influence care in the first few days of life. To help provide insight into this topic is Dr. Scott Duncan, Professor and Chief Division of Neonatal Medicine, Department of Pediatrics at University of Louisville School of Medicine. Let's look at some case examples and how NEARS may influence care. We're going to show some practical applications, some clinical evidence, and some case examples in the premature baby. We should begin at the beginning, and the beginning for neonatology is in the delivery room. So this first case is that of an infant who develops a severe interventricular hemorrhage with low cerebral saturations. The baby is delivered, intubated, given 30 seconds of chest compressions in the delivery room transferred to the NICU, given surfactant, and started on a high-frequency oscillator. By the second day of life, the vital signs are stable, but the cerebral regional saturation baselines at 75% had fallen over a 24-hour period to approximately 40%, as the renal saturations fell to 55%. The decreased cerebral saturation values prompted a cranial ultrasound, which revealed bilateral grade three interventricular hemorrhage. The baby was transfused, which slightly improved the cerebral saturations. In this case, the drop in the cerebral saturation values alerted the clinicians to a possible pathophysiologic process. Common situations that can contribute to low cerebral saturations include hypertension, decreased systemic oxygenation, anemia, and hypocarbia. And these parameters are not abnormal in the setting of a persistently low cerebral saturation. There should be some consideration made for the possibility of an interventricular hemorrhage. While the signal all the way down to the periventricular region can be limited, lower cerebral saturations have been reported in the setting of an inter interventricular hemorrhage and can be related to the excess of venous blood in the area of hemorrhage or lower cerebral blood flow states. is we're providing resuscitative efforts in a delivery room. Wouldn't it be useful to know what the cerebral saturation values are? So this study looked to investigate the occurrence of a periventricular interventricular hemorrhage in preterm infants and its potential association with cerebral saturations during the immediate transition across the first 15 minutes of life. Here, the investigators were able to show that one Preterm babies who develop brain injury in the first days after birth 
have significantly lower cerebral saturation values during the immediate transition compared to neonates without brain injury, beginning as early as seven minutes after birth. Second, differences in cerebral saturation values occurred even when there were no differences in heart rate and pulse oximetry. So in addition to pulse oximetry monitoring during the immediate neonatal transition, cerebral NIRs may help to identify those infants at risk for brain injury. We know that a lot of times this is related to the lack of autoregulation. We oftentimes will treat the mean arterial blood pressure without good evidence that doing so results in a significant improvement in outcomes. In fact, many neonatologists still use the adage that the mean arterial pressure should equal the gestational age. So let's first look at a series of case reports that evaluate the effects of treating mean arterial blood pressures. In the table on the left, we see a 28-week preterm infant with a blood pressure that's below the gestational age, and the baby's given a saline bolus. As you can see, there's a statistically increase, statistically significant increase in the blood pressure, but there's no change in the cerebral oxygenation. In the panel on the right, another infant is started on dopamine, and again, there's a significant, significant increase in the blood pressure, but the cerebral oxygenation remains unchanged. In the end, ultimately, we were just treating a number and not necessarily the patient's condition. Historically, we use blood pressure as an indirect measure of adequacy of tissue perfusion and oxygen delivery, where near infrared spectroscopy allows us a direct measurement of regional tissue oxygenation. So once we've seen now that sometimes treating the blood pressure doesn't necessarily treat the cerebral oxygenation, let's look a little bit more at this concept of cerebral autoregulation. So another reason that, that this may be important is the lack of autoregulation and the concept of cerebral reactivity. This study now takes us out to 96 hours as opposed to the first 15 minutes. And it looked to test the hypothesis that impaired cerebral autoregulation increases the susceptibility of premature infants to adverse outcomes. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Here, that study was extended out to 96 hours and autoregulation and reactivity characterized over time. The authors determined the relationship of impaired cerebral autoregulation and cerebral reactivity measured in the first 96 hours of life to outcomes of grade three or grade four interventricular hemorrhage and or death within a month. They studied neonates 24 to 29 weeks gestation less than 12 hours old with invasive blood pressure monitoring and cerebral saturations. Here you see the results summarized. Then infants who had interventricular hemorrhage, they had impaired cerebral autoregulation almost 26% of the time compared to those babies without interventricular hemorrhage. You also see that their cerebral reactivity was less than about 33% compared to about 43% and infants without interventricular hemorrhage. So their conclusions were that neonates with adverse outcomes, both IVH and mortality, spent more time with impaired cerebral autoregulation and less time with cerebral reactivity. Some of those temporal relationships are not noted on that slide, but we should add this. The time that was spent with impaired cerebral autoregulation decreased by postnatal day, so the largest change occurred between day one and day two without adverse outcomes. 
cerebral act reactivity increased with postnatal days and those without adverse outcomes. I didn't show that on this particular slide, but those are two uh, important points when we think about taking care of our babies. Finally, let's take those measurements out over the first couple of weeks. This case control study looked at preterm babies with period one to three interventricular hemorrhage or periventricular hemorrhagic infarction and cerebral saturation measured from day one to five, day eight, and day 15. In addition to the cerebral saturations, they calculated the fractional tissue oxygen extraction during the first two weeks. Remember our graph of consumption utilization here. So the preterm babies with germinal matrix and hemorrhage and IVH had lower cerebral saturations and higher fractional tissue oxygen extractions during the first two weeks after birth, irrespective of the grade of germinal matrix hemorrhage or interventricular hemorrhage. This suggests that cerebral perfusion has decreased persistently for two weeks in infants with germinal matrix hemorrhage or interventricular hemorrhage, even in the presence of mild hemorrhages. Please tune in next week for a new segment from this series wherever you find your podcast. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. Thank you for listening.